this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And it just so happens today on this particular episode or this evening, depending on what part of the country you're in, one of our patrons is here. He's been here before. We've done more than a a couple of records with him. Do we call welcome back? Hey, always, always fun to be on. So last excited. year it was, was it, uh, what did we do last year? What did we do last year? We did uh verb pipe villains from 1996. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And you joined us for the local H episode. Yes. With Steven. That with was a Steve. lot of fun to do. Yes. Yeah. So I don't want to give a, a Tell everyone your pick for this episode, and then we'll get into introducing our extra guests who are here based on that. All right. So I wanted to do something different because I I think this is like my fourth or fifth uh, pick over the years. I wanted to do something a little bit different where I pick something that's newer to me that I don't have a huge history with because everything else I've picked, I go back 20 plus years with. Gotcha. Either I know the band or I've seen the band a gazillion times or I bought the record the day it came out. But this one, I only heard for the first time in December. So it's still really new to me. I know it's not new to Chip because he's got a lot of he's got a huge history with it. But I only heard it for the first time in December. Uh, it's by a band called Dig. It's their self-titled record from 1993, and I just fell completely in love with it. It's still in rotation every week since I first heard it, and it just blows me away that it missed me in the 90s. I have no idea how I missed it, and I couldn't believe that there was no review of Dig on Dig Me Out. I right. blew my mind. I'm like, what? <laughs> How is this possible? Yeah. And uh, so Chip and I briefly talked about possibly doing this uh, last year. Oh, you guys plotted. It was kind of in the comments to talk about it. Yeah, we may have tagged you, but it was in the discussion to possibly do this. So okay. I'm really happy that Scott's here. I, I think this is going to be great. So well, I'm just, super excited. Just give away it. the secret guests. Why don't you? Both of them. Just uh, Yeah, I'll let you <laughs> Okay. All right. So. Based on your your uh, plotting last year, uh, we have a couple of extra special guests for this episode. Coming back, he's been here many times before. He's been here since year one. He's here in year 10. Welcome back, Chip Midnight. 10 years. Wow, I, I had no idea. Yes, yes. 10 years, we- I mean, let's take a moment to recognize that 10 years of weekly podcast. I mean... As somebody who has started and stopped probably 20 different blogs in the last 10 years, that's uh, that's quite some staying power you guys got. We are stubborn. That's great. Yeah. We are we are less than a – I think we're about a dozen episodes away from 500. So That's amazing. It's, amazing. Uh, I don't know how we've done it uh, other than Jay and I are really good at showing up on Sunday nights. That's 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 the thing. We just show up every Sunday night, turn on the computer, and we're each there. So, thanks, Chip. We and it, we couldn't. I was saying to Scott before, we couldn't have been, we wouldn't have gotten this far without you because you were instrumental first season in getting us 
interviews and su- making suggestions. So this is you've been along for the entire ride, and and we're really thankful for that. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, you're talking about my my musical decade sweet spot, so mm-hmm. always happy to always happy to join. And it's uh, the cat's out of the bag. Sorry about that. That's okay. Also joining us from the band Dig, among among uh, many other things, which I'm sure we're going to get into, on the West Coast, Scott Hackwith. Hi, Scott. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so I mentioned, uh, well, first of all, this has been on the back burner, this record for us to do since the podcast started. It's been, we had, Jay and I used to pick the records and we each had a long list of records that we wanted to do. And then we transitioned slowly into the people who listen to the podcast actually doing all the picking. So our lists got put on, uh, got, got, got turned off they're not they're not available anymore for us we have to go with whatever get picked so we've been waiting to get to this record because this was like a no-brainer for our podcast but we were just waiting for someone i think it's even been it might have been in a poll at some point that i don't know jay can you confirm or deny that it's been in a poll or or this the second album was oh okay and uh i'm glad we're finally getting around to it because unlike dewey who magically just discovered this last december this has been in my brain since uh, I first saw the the video for Believe back in uh, 1993. So, wow. and I think I'm I couldn't find it on YouTube, but I think and Scott, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't you guys play the John Stewart show on MTV back around this time, back when the album came out? We, yeah, we did. We did. I because th- I remember that. That was probably 94 or something yeah okay because i used to watch so that t- show and watch all the musical guests and so so tim I'm, I'm one of those guys who can't seem to throw away any sort of media mm-hmm. and i have a box of i have a box of vhs tapes that i actually was going through like just a couple weekends ago since i have a little bit of time on my hands now and um and i and i have the john stewart show with Diggs' appearance on it you got to get that uploaded to youtube it's not oh, there wow I have no idea if I know how to do that, but <laughs> yeah, you have a VHS machine. That's the question. That's I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm shameful that I say I do, but I do. Yes. I think that's awesome. I wish I had one. I, you need to wait. You need to convert it to like DVD and then rip the DVD to your computer. I think that's how I, that's all. Yes. That's all. Do you have a DVD ripper <laughs> at home? So I'm sure I that's don't. several thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Just sitting there. Uh, no, you can actually you can actually send the tape into a production company and they'll do it for you online. I don't know how much it costs, but I've done that before with old tapes. So it's been a while. That's but, true. Yep. Yeah, because there's those services that'll digitize your old VHS, like your family videos and stuff. We're, that can't yeah. be the uh, that can't be the only one you have, Chip, right? I mean, you've got to have a library of, of oh, this I got kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my wife, I, that I've had since I was in, uh, you know, since high school and collecting, and I've and I've had these. We, they've moved from house to house to house, and my my wife is always like, "Why, why are we bringing two big bins full of VHS tapes?" <laughs> but it's because I knew there would someday be a pandemic where I'd sit in my basement and plug it in and, and watch <laughs> old, um, all right, balls and 120 minutes, and yep. All right, so <laughs> before we get into the record. 
I would love to get from Scott a little backstory on the formation of Dig and everything that's sort and and don't have to go into super detail, but just leading up to the release of this first record, um, in terms of how the band formed, how you end up signing with I think it was uh, Wasteland, which we, I was that a part of Radioactive. Yeah, yeah, okay. same company. So how did that all come together? It all came together. Um, I was in a band called TSOL. Um, I, I toured with them for a good four years. And, and through that, I was writing songs and um, ended up writing a bunch of demos on my, my little four-track uh, recorder and slowly put a band together. And, and um, we went into rehearsals with the band that I put together for maybe three months. And then that's when radioactive came around and we ended up signing a deal with them. It was very quick. Um, and not a lot to it. So just back up for one second. TSOL is kind of a legendary punk band. Um, when did you join them? God, probably in, uh, maybe 89. Okay. Um, their guitar player, yeah, their original guitar player had quit the band, and they needed somebody to fill in, so I filled in. And that was basically my college. Um, I toured with them. I learned the ropes. Um, met so many people, and which you know ended up later. You know, once I formed Dig, and we went out, really helped because I, you know, I, I knew how to tour. I knew a lot of the promoters. You know, it's all the same clubs we, we played. And, uh, yeah. So this is, this is sort of crazy. Like, I didn't know about this um, until, like, recently. Um, you know, a little Googling and stuff. And uh, so were you on, like, were you touring? Didn't TSOL, like, play with Guns N' Roses early on in Guns N' Roses' career? You know, I got in TSOL right, right, um after that, um, what was the drummer of Guns N' Roses, uh, Steve, Steve Madler? Yep. He had yeah. worn the, the TSOL shirt in Sweet Child of Mine, I think it was. And so I got in right after right after that, that happened. And I, yeah, I think they did, did some shows with them. Um, okay. I didn't play on any of those. But my first show with TSOL was actually with the Chili Peppers in Arizona. I mean, I was like young guy out of San Diego, just moved to LA, got in TSL and then instantly out on the road doing, you know, amazing stuff. So, but yeah, that was um, the Guns N' Roses thing really sort of, that's when TSL decided to go rock and uh, got me in the band. So as far as bringing dig together, um, the other, well, I noticed that, there are there's quite a list of bass players and drummers from i'm guessing that's for the different records or does that include touring uh it looks like there's like four different bass players and one two three four yeah drummers seems like there was a lot of people through the through the band in the 90s is that what did that that change by record at least rhythm section wise um I mean, you know, the main lineup was that first EP and that first album. Um, 
yeah, you know, just every band goes through problems and, um, you know, we did a lot of work, a lot of touring. So through that, that first LP and, um, yeah, just, you know, things, things went south and with relationships and all that as things do. Um, and we never really captured that first, that first vibe with that, that first LP, I, I believe, you know, there at that time, music was going through a lot of changes. I, when we were in doing our second record, um, cause radioactive went through MCA. Um, everybody at MCA got fired. So, and they, they loved us cause MCA was, they had a lot of, you know, um, sort of R and B acts. Um, and they, the guys that were running it were, into rock and we were their token rock band and they loved us. And, um, through that second record, everybody got fired. So is that, that horror story of your A&R guy getting fired? Actually, everyone, we got a phone call while we're in the studio, everybody got fired. So that was a drag. And then, then after that, it was just, it was downhill from there. I mean, they didn't promote the record. Um, and then it was just a matter of, you know, you know, trying to exist as a band, it was just, it was just wasn't, it wasn't happening. Um, I'm willing to bet, and Jay can back me up, that out of every 10 musicians that we have talked to that put out records in the 90s, nine of them had their A&R person fired at some point, usually after the first record and the start of the second record. That is, that is like, <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah. I don't know how anybody retained a job for more than six months in the '90s that worked at a record right. label. It seems like the most turnover. It's like a, it's like working at a, um, at a fast food restaurant. There's just people moving in and out very quickly. Um, I mean, we actually had like our, our new A and R guy that came in. I think we we were, uh, you know, I'm not sure on, a, on the timeline of things, but we got put over on Universal. And we had an A&R guy come in and tell us that if we didn't have a hit on the record that we were making, that they weren't going to work it. You know, it's just like, what? like, how do you write a hit? Like, what, is, you know, what does that right. even mean? You know? So, yeah, it was crazy times. Definitely. And it's, well, maybe we have a hit because you guys work it. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe it goes the other way around. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't Janie Lane write Cherry Pie when he was told they needed a hit for the uh, for for that album? <laughs> true, <laughs> yes, true. There you go. Just, just follow the Cherry Pie formula. Now let's get into the record, which came out in uh, 1993. Um, three. I checked online today uh, while I was doing my research and listening uh, to the record. I show three singles were released. With videos, which would be um, Believe, uh, Unlucky Friend, and I'll Stay High. And then I also show that there was a single released for Fuck You, which seems like an odd single choice. I don't know if that's like tongue-in-cheek, that there's a there was a 7-inch single, promo single that was released for that, which... Can't really say the name of that on the radio. So, um, can, is there a backstory yeah, you know, with that? I, I that was um, we were 
that yeah, that was our single that we we pressed up and we actually hand stamped all the artwork for that. And that yeah, that was kind of our our first single to send out to radio to say fuck you. Um, you know, Gary Kerr first, uh, the head of Radioactive, he had a lot to do with that, and he was, and so I think that was more of a, you know, try, a marketing trying to get. I mean, we used to send, um, like joints in in the, what what is it, the little, in in a CD, and the the backside of the CD, you can there's a little space. We used to stick joints up in that little space and then send it out to radio stations and stuff like that. <laughs> We'd send like magic mushrooms out to radio stations, um, you know, all with a, the president of the label, like, yeah, yeah, do that, do that. You know? Wow. That, going on. <laughs> that, uh, that seems like you might get in trouble with the postal service, but, uh... <laughs> well, yeah, this is, you know, this is back in the day. Um, you could get away. So, how did you end up working with? Uh, is I don't know how to say. Is it Jardin or Jardin? Dave Jardin. Jardin, yeah, Jardin. Dave Jardin. Jardin, yes. Um, well, he worked. Um, he did some James. Uh, Gary Kerfers was a manager. He managed James Addiction, the Ramones, tons of other great bands. Um, so he worked with Jordan uh, with the band Live, uh, James Addiction, and a few others. So he had a relationship with him. And so he got on, you know, he, he really liked our band. Unfortunately, he was, he, he didn't show up for one recording session on that record. Not one. He, he phoned it in. Luckily, I had been you know, recording on my four track forever. So I kind of had a sense of how to overdub and, and um, sort of the experimental side of recording. And, and um, so I had a, a bit of a sense of, of, you know, producing and engineering. And so he would phone in his, his ideas and how to do things, um, which ended up being beneficial to me in, in my career because I learned every one of his tricks. But yeah, he, he ended up not showing up for one recording session for that entire right. He he mixed the record, but he wasn't there for any of the recording of. Huh? What? Right. How does he get away with that? <laughs> um. Well, you know, it's because things were. We had a good engineer, and um, if you press me to you his name right now i couldn't do it but uh steve klein um, he there you go steve was amazing steve had a he, he did some great work and um like in florida like with black sabbath he was old school um he was great had nothing he he knew nothing about the type of music we were trying to make or what we were going for but he um he he was great to have uh it, it turned out dave was you know, struggling with drug addiction and he just could not make it, you know? Mm. And, and I didn't find that out till maybe a year after we put out that record, he um, came to me and, and apologized and <laughs> sorry I didn't show up, but he ended up, you know, mixing the record, um, which having him mix the record was amazing. And he did get through that. And I, you know, I thought it, I thought it came out great, you know? So 
Yeah, let's let's actually get into the record. Um, Dewey, let me ask you first, since you said you were, you know, new to the record, um, and it really stuck with you since you've picked it up. What uh, what works best for you on this record? Like, what's what do you connect with? Well, I wanted to talk about hearing Believe for the first time because that was my intro. Uh, a friend of mine uh, was going through a box of CDs, much like Chip's been doing with his tapes. And he put something on my Facebook wall about, have you ever heard this band before? And uh, sometimes people send me bands and sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't. But for some reason, I wanted to check it out. So I watched the video on YouTube, which was, I don't know, pretty pretty crappy quality. And uh, I'm like, I got to hear the actual song, how it's meant to be heard. This YouTube stream really isn't doing it justice. So I started streaming it on YouTube, the audio of it on YouTube, because the whole record's up there. And I uh, just fell in love with, well, Believe was my intro. And that's what I just completely fell in love with. The chorus, it was just everything I love about 90s alternative, you know. And uh, yeah, from there, I mean, I'll be honest, after I bought the CD, which I think I found on discogs or i can't remember one of those sites it was like two bucks you know complete steal i mean <laughs> i would gladly pay twenty dollars for this record i mean uh, so i bought it for like two bucks and i'll be honest after i got so much into the record i kind of forgot about how great of a song believe is until it actually comes up in the checklisting and it's like oh yeah this is the reason why i bought the record in the first place was this song i mean that's how great it is um but i mean i could say something about every track but i mean let me know just hooks you from the start it's heavy it's got those distorted vocals it's got that fuzz in the guitar um unlucky friend just I, I just love it all i'm not really sure where to go but that's kind of where my uh how i fell in love with it well if you'd like to spend some ridiculous money on this record the vinyl release that was only out in the uk is currently available for 150 dollars. i saw that i was going to bring that up during the uh, podcast about what the deal was with that. Scott, do you have any copies you'd like to sell? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have a dig merch site and I think that you can buy it for way less. Wow. I don't know oh, if really? Left, but it's, yeah. I'm going to look that up because Interesting. Uh, I wouldn't mind having, Oh, that's the dig. I just looked up the wrong band. Uh, dig band merch. <laughs> Dig. Um, so Jay, had you listened to this record before? Uh, I hadn't listened to the whole record, but I do remember the single "Believe." Um, so when I went back through it, that really brought me back to uh, the early '90s. Was the video ever played during primetime hours, or was it like a 120-minute video? I'm, I was always curious about that. <sighs> That's a good question. It's one of those songs where I know it but I can't quite picture where I would have heard it. Um, if it would have been on radio or if it was on MTV, um, yeah. I want to say it was probably 120 minutes, but, um, that's a good question. Yeah, it was, it was, it was on buzz then. It was like played okay. constantly. Oh, wow. Okay. For, for a good, like three months. And that, that definitely, that's what launched us from playing to one person, you know, to many, that makes sense because I did not have MTV in 1993, but I got it in late 94. And by then, they were probably probably stopped playing it. So that makes right, sense. Right. Yeah, I remember uh, the, like I mentioned, the, the John Stewart appearance, but then also when this was in rotation. And also, this was 
when Jay and I were working at the uh, college. Well, actually, it was just before you got to Bowling Green, I think, Jay. And when we started working together at the college radio station. Um, but I think, you know, going back and listening to this now and having a much broader understanding of what was going on in the 90s, uh, I hear a lot of really interesting influences and I hear a lot of really interesting production stuff that I don't know that I could have articulated. I would have just said, that sounds cool. But um, there is an, I don't know, and maybe you can get into this talking about your production that you did in in place of Dave. Um, (laughs) It seems like there is a lot of layering guitars and and playing around with um, different, I don't know if it's different um, miking techniques or if you are directing or or running some of the guitars direct because there seems like some really like heavily distorted dry like don't hear any reverb type stuff going on but then there's other guitars that sound like they could have been on a ride or or a slow dive record they're very shoegaze sounding um so i wonder if you could talk a little bit about that because i found that was one of the things i found most interesting was how much variety there was in the guitar uh, from song to song on this record, but still maintain like a cohesive sound. Uh, yeah, you know, when I was doing demos for the record, there was, a, you know, since I'm a guitar player, so there was there was a lot of guitar parts going on. So when I put the band together, I just felt that um, there's no way to get away with just two guitar players. I needed three guitar players to do. And there was one, because there's always some sort of, and you're right with the slow dive and um i was really influenced by bands like ride and my bloody valentine that definitely was in there um so i i just felt that there was always this this guitar parts that were droney verbed out um so there's you know finding somebody that could do that sort of stuff so and all the the layering definitely came from you know jordan's you know, phone calls of that's the way to make things large and big. Um, but all the sort of, all the sounds came from amps. Um, there was, you know, some, there's a lot of experimentation and, and, you know, mic, micing up amps, you know, from behind and, and putting them in a, in a, in a bathroom in the studio and outside the door. And there's, you know, we definitely, you know, messed around with techniques and, had fun um but uh yeah so the layering was definitely you know something that we we've always done in fact we're making a record now and we're layering at tons of different guitars um i think uh in our band every guitar like i had more of a, a straight dry sort of jangly sound um john morris had this very beefy marshall more rock heavy sound and Johnny Cornwell had he was playing through um, smaller amps a lot of reverb he had a lot of effects going on so yeah that's that and and that's unusual because there were not a lot of three three guitar bands in the early 90s I Jay can you think of any other that were at that time Skinnerd? No, I mean, no. <laughs> I can't think of any. I'm struggling to think of any three guitar bands. Well, I mean, now they're like 
you know, in Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder plays plays guitar now, but he didn't play guitar uh, well, yeah. in the in the early '90s. And Tom York occasionally plays guitar in Radiohead yeah. when they were doing guitars. I don't know that they do that anymore. Um, but that that to me, when I realized that there were three guitar players, and I was listening to it, I'm like, oh, this isn't just like them going wild in the studio. There's there's actually three guitar players playing here, which opens up a whole sonic palette that you know is not available to a one or a two guitar band in terms of you know multiple layers of of counter melodies and all sorts of interesting things and effects yeah how do you uh i mean i i've been in a band with one other guitar player it was hard enough to figure out like how to play together how how do you work out three guitar parts you know it's it was all re- that first record and that first ep everything was recorded on a four track. So everything, the parts were written mm. um, and putting the guitar, you know, putting the band together. There's, and, and if you notice, there's not a lot of soloing going on. There's not a lot of ego guitar stuff going on. Mm. It, you know, it's, it was all about the parts. Um, so yeah, it's, I, and it's basically it's, everything was written beforehand and there's no noodling going on. You know, there's, the parts of the parts. Do you think because you had everything so worked out uh, beforehand that that maybe gave Dave a easy excuse not to show up to in terms of like you knew what the songs were going to be? Yeah, well, and no, it's the, like, I, was there? I think going day to day with it, that everything was going smooth. If he really had to show up, and if there was a problem with the, the progress of the record, I think. You know, the record company, the record company really didn't, they just left us alone. Mm. Um, and I, and I think, and I wasn't, you know, at the, I mean, I was bummed he didn't show up and I, de- I definitely talked about it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, we were having fun and, and I, you know, he would get on the phone with me and he would tell me a lot of secrets that I use to this day, you know, that is things that he used with the, when he recorded the stones and, and with Alice and chains. And so I, you know, if, if that didn't happen, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had a, a career as a, a producer, you know, yeah. so it all worked out. Jay, we did get some comments over at our Patreon page. Do we want to uh, get into those? Some of the stuff that uh, mm-hmm. when we previewed this record for our patrons, of course. Uh, so Richard Waterman said, "Let's see. This is why Dig Me Out is the bed- best podcast on earth." I-, I don't know about that. I mean, Ira Glass <laughs> still has a podcast. So, it's, uh, uh, where else would someone review this band and album? Right here. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. If the aliens happened upon Earth and wanted to know what the '90s sounded like, and also what they wanted to see what '90s album art looked like, then this would be a prime example. As far as the yeah. band goes, I actually prefer their next album, "Defenders of the Universe." The album was much more post-grunge. I don't. Is that a is that a is that a legal term? Can we use post-grunge? Has, has, has I don't that, know. <laughs> I like I, it. I know there's post-rock and there's post-hardcore. I think we got to get post-grunge into the vernacular. Um, I like it. And he mentioned, this is funny, uh, he mentioned um, the sound of this album can be attributed to Dave Jordan, who made the, some of the best-sounding rock records of this era. And as we learned, that's uh, sort of true. 
not entirely. But he, <laughs> he, he did work on um, another album we reviewed, which was Darkest Days by Stabbing Westward. We did that back. Uh, he mentioned episode 377, thanks to our Airtable uh, document, um, yeah. which we did like the production on that record. And it, it does remind me of this record, oddly enough. I mean, in terms of just the the how huge the guitars are and even some of the distorted vocals and how it sits in the mix um reminded me of that record as well Is that is that something that was in the demos, um, the use of distorted vocals, or was that something that came about as you uh, work with Dave? Yeah, that that was in the demos. Yep. Yep. And then um, Darren Lehman, I, both Darren and Richard are both new to the uh, to the Patreon community. Said um, I had never heard of this band before. This is why I love this podcast. So, like you, Dewey, somebody who who is not familiar with this band. Um, until recently or until now, um, I really, he said, now he's got criticisms. Scott, are you okay with criticisms? Absolutely. Okay. He said, <laughs> I really like the first half of this album. I definitely heard some Jane's addiction and Pixie's influence, but he said they right. lost me on the second half. Interesting. Now I'm looking at the track listing of this record and... I don't know where I guess half would be believe. So I guess he's starting with Feet Don't Touch the Ground, which actually is one of my favorite rec- favorite songs on the record. No, um, me too. Cuz it's got that great like ride that that uh affected I guess it's is that the bass or is that a guitar part at the beginning of that song? Uh, I guess it, I guess it's the bass with the with like a fuzzed out Yeah, it's guitar. The bass. You know, it's it's the bass, and there's a baritone guitar that doubles the bass line. Ah, that's what it is. A lot of uh, this record, mostly the baritone guitar doubling the bass part, which the bass player played, is going through like a Marshall sound. So it gives it that really chunky um, sound. But through that, that we ran it through some more of a chorusy, there's a JCM120 amp sort of sound. Okay. So that's what that's what you use a baritone guitar for. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah, seen those. That like, what do you use those for? That whistle from the Who. Um, that was his trick. So, like in a lot of the of the Who bass licks that you're hearing, and the reason it has so much of that mid range is because it's doubled with a baritone, so it really huh. sort of sticks out. And that was that was one of the tricks I learned from Dave. And then if you run it through um, 
and it's it, and it's through like a sans amp you know um not through actually through running through a marshall but you run it through like a sans amp or some sort of guitar rig or whatever and you use that uh, jtm sound it gives it that that really chunky um like hitting a sandbag sort of sound and that's what you hear in allison chains um if you you know any of those bass parts that's that's where you that that really just chunky you know you can feel the bass part sound comes from yeah i, I wanted to say i really love the mixing on this record and i'm not sure if it's because of the time i mean there's so many great sounding records from that era but you can hear the separation of the instruments the bass is thick chunky the guitar is hit really hard um it just it blew me away i mean like i said earlier it's something that you don't really hear anymore and uh that whoever mixed it did an incredible job, I thought. So wanted to add that. Yeah, yeah, Jordan, he's he's amazing. I mean, yeah. I mean that's his thing. He calls himself an engineer, you know. So yeah, and that, yeah, I give him all the credit in the world for you know mixing this record. Even on Believe, um, he was feeling that once we got into mixing, he just felt there was something missing in the song, and then we ended up putting uh, that Evo part and believe in the mixing session so i mean he he definitely he definitely pulled it out during mixing and i appreciate him for that So Chip, take us back to your experience with this record. Um, how did you come upon it in terms of, I know you ended up interviewing Scott back in the day, but was this something that you got as a promo item or did you discover it in a store? What, what's the backstory? No, so the backstory, and I'd, I'd be interested if Scott remembers this. Um, I was at the CMJ convention 1993. It was my first time that I'd ever been to the CMJ at College Music Journal Convention. It was a industry type event in New York City where you know a ton of bands played, sort of, sort of like South by Southwest, um, but you know New York's a little bit more spread out than Austin, and so, um, but the same idea. You know, night after night, every club has a showcase of five, six, seven bands. But um, like I said, it was my first time going, and um, I had talked to somebody who had been there before, and they had given me the tip that you need to find the industry parties because at the industry parties you could get free beer. And so at some, somewhere I picked up a flyer that said, um, you know, come check out this thing. And it, it didn't promise free beer, but I'm like, I'm going to go check this thing out. So it was, a, if, and, and I, I'm hoping my memory is correct, but I, you know, it was a long time ago, 1993, but, um, 
I saw like a 3D snowboarding movie with like all these snowboarders jumping off ramps and doing these crazy tricks and stuff. And in that movie or in the documentary or whatever it was, I don't even remember how long it was, but um, Dig provided the soundtrack and I think played like, like this, if I remember correctly, like the snowboarders were like flying over you guys and, and going all around you. Am I crazy, Scott, or is that... You no, you, you have it right, but it wasn't snowboarders. It was skateboarders, and it was a, we were playing okay. actually on a, a ramp, like a half pipe. And Tony Hawk was didn't somebody that was jumping over us. So yeah. Oh wow. Well, so so I saw I saw that, and I think you guys did like two or three songs maybe in that, and um, and like I walked out of there, and uh, I went right down to um, St. Mark's Place to Sounds. Re- like I I can distinctly remember going into Sounds Record Store, which you had to kind of go up five or six stairs and um you know went right to the d section and i and i found a copy of the cd so i bought it like probably an hour after seeing that um totally like just it just the the visuals and the music together just um sold me right off the bat and then um i think i try I, you know again a little fuzzy fuzzy of those days but um dig played at stashes in columbus and i think that was the, that was the first time I saw the band. And then I drove to Cleveland to the Grog shop. And I think Scott, that was when, um, I, I think that's when I interviewed you and, uh, and you had told me that your son had just been born. And I, you know, the early nineties, I was writing for the zine and we were trying to get kind of crazy with the graphics and stuff. And, um, I told Scott that if he gave me a, a picture of his of his newborn son um that we would somehow incorporate it into the article and you know i think you had a picture on you or you sent me a picture and i ended up with a picture and i brought it back to columbus and the graphic designer who laid out the page um, made it the entire like back photo of the interview like it's the background of the of the story um yeah and then uh and then i know i saw you one more time at um the newport music hall which is the bigger venue about 1500 seater in columbus um, yeah. And then, so, you know, then like the internet starts and like, I don't know if it was MySpace where I connected with you or somewhere I connected with you. Um, and I was just looking this up sometime in, I think 2004, there were, somebody had a dig, a dig fan site. Um, it was like a geo city site or a tripod site or one of those kind of sites. And, uh, <laughs> you know, back in those days, I'd like, I'd, I'd hit it every, you know, up a couple of weeks to see if there's any news and um and there was news in like 2004 that you scott and john and johnny had gotten back together and were maybe recording some stuff and um i sent i i was writing for a blog called done waiting at the time and sent you i think maybe a 10 questions oh, or so yeah. um you know all excited for a new dig record in 2004 and uh here we are 2020 Right. <laughs> We're making that record. I think that that uh, dig fan site is defgav.com now. Backslash dig. That's still up. Wow. It's still up. Is it really? Yeah. News and updates. They're waiting for that record. They're they're persistent. I know. Um. Yeah. They're. The I funny mean, part is we're still we're still making that record today. Like we're still doing it. You know. <laughs> the last update was so, 2012, um, so they might have something now to uh, add. Yeah. I will, so, um, um, Tim, I'll send you a link to this. But um, so I've I've been uh, 
you know, I have all, I have all this stuff in print that is awesome. I mean, I love, there's something about maybe Scott can, can attest to this. Maybe, I don't know, like having, having a physical copy of something you've done as opposed to a website or something digital. But, um, but I also realized that like in the nineties, I was writing for, for this magazine called Moo, which was based in Columbus and distributed throughout, um, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, I think was our kind of our region that we do distributed to. But, um, but because, you know, those are sort of lost to time, I have copies of everything. And so, um, I've started posting everything on chipmidnight.com and I posted the dig article and, uh, there's a scan or a picture of, of that layout with, uh, with Scott's son in the background. So Tim, I'll, I'll make sure you get a copy of that link or whatever. Awesome. You can this is awesome. I, I sent that to my son. He, he loved it. I scored points. Thank you, Chip. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, like, I'm just looking at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, your your baby son. But that's what, 26 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, right? <laughs> that is crazy. And I'm and I'm looking. It was so that was the first issue of this magazine that we had started. Moo. It came out of we had we had had another magazine in Columbus called the Columbus Edge. Um, and the guy that ran it wanted to kind of kind of make it bigger, um, kind of go regional. And so we killed, I, I, I kind of um, compared it to like being in a band and, and the band breaks up, but like a couple of the key members stick around and start something new. And that's sort of what happened here is we started Moo. Um, but I just realizing now that that was the first issue of Moo that Dig was in. And it was funny because um, at the time I interviewed um, Adam Sandler, who at the time was just still on Saturday Night Live. Uh, and he was coming to Columbus to do a, um, you know, stand up comedy show and i remember asking him kind of who his favorite bands were at the time and uh and and dig was the band that he called out he said uh, you know i really like this this band called dig that's Very awesome cool. but here's so here's the other thing you know again you know 1994 i was uh you know in my 20s um and and i sort of kick myself now um because i think if i if i remember correctly uh dig dig toured with some of my other favorite bands at the time, you guys played shows with the Posies and with Blind Melon. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. And like in 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 around you know ninety one, ninety two, those were those were a couple of my favorite bands. And like I wish I had, wish I had been paying more careful attention and seeing you on on shows with those guys because that would have been just uh, mind blowing to me. I think at this point. Yeah, the the Blind Melon tour was just amazing. It was incredible. It's crazy because I saw them every show they did in Ohio, but I don't think you ever played in Ohio with them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We did a lot, though. We did a lot with them. What's a breakdown? With the, what kind of touring did you do around this record? Well, everything that we possibly could, but we did yeah. some, some amazing stuff. I mean, we toured with the Bad Brains. Um, it, was, it was great meeting those guys and hanging out every night um and we did like rollins and in, in the uk we did a great uh tour with uh therapy in the uk that was just amazing uh, very huge at the moment yep um i mean we yeah we had so many i mean you know and playing with the ramones and um we had a lot of great opportunities uh, were, there any band, were there any bands that you played with that you would consider heroes at, at that time that you couldn't believe you were sharing? Yeah, the, the, the Ramones were definitely, that was, 
I mean, playing and touring with them was, that was pretty incredible. God. Yeah. I mean, it was difficult. It was difficult because nobody wanted to hear us and it's like, right. one, two, three, get off. No. <laughs> but, uh, I was going to ask how the fans were on that. But I, I definitely formed a relationship with Joey, you know, through that. And he, he you know, he's amazing. It's really good. So is that how you ended up um, working on Ramon stuff later on is through meeting them then? Yeah, you know, it was, it was through Gary Kerr first. Um, definitely, he was probably trying to set me up to produce bigger and better things and so he could make money. But, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, meeting meeting them through the tour and it started out just to be an EP was no big deal. Um, then, it, you know, everybody was loving what was going on. It ended up being an LP, but... Um, it was good. It was, it was a, an amazing experience for me. I mean, there was no reason why I should be <laughs> like producing a Ramones record because I had no experience at that at that point. Um, so it was, it was incredible. I wanted to quickly ask about the Runt EP. I don't have it yet. I haven't even heard it yet. Um, somebody was saying on YouTube that the version of I'll Stay High is the EP version. Is that different on the EP, or can you kind of explain that? Yeah, it's, it's a different version. Okay. Just, I mean, um, probably the arrangement's exactly the same. It's just a different studio and different moment. So a little heavier on the uh, on the LP, I think. But Runt was definitely that was, you know, a good snapshot of the band at that moment. So, okay, I just want to go back to the Ramones thing for a minute. So you produced the 93 album uh, Acid Eaters, right? correct? So in the credits (laughs) for this record, additional musicians include Pete Townsend, Sebastian Bach, and Tracy Lords. Um, (laughs) okay pick three random names (laughs) literally pick three random people and let's get them to sing backing vocals on three different songs uh how did what is going on with those three people like how was that people the band wanted to work with or i mean they did substitute so you know you get you get pete sound right to sing back up my favorite like the reason i started playing guitar that was i was so into that and that was amazing to meet him and to work with him um and then when they said sebastian uh, buck i'm just like oh my god you know like no um at that moment at this moment i don't really care but i was so against it and but he ended up being a really cool guy um the epitome of heavy metal walked in with the girl and the bottle of Jack and, you know, just full on and, you know, and everything was a scream and, um, and Tracy, she ended up being actually a friend of mine. Um, she ended up, uh, we ended up doing some music back in LA and she, she was a label mate. So that's why she was on there. 
Okay, because yeah, they released this on um, Radioactive. So right. that makes sense then. Okay. Which, Jay, if you don't remember uh, Radioactive, it, I mean, it was primarily, that was li- when Live broke, it was on um, Radioactive. Uh, also okay. the home yep. of Angelfish, which we are a big fan yeah. of that record. Okay. from Garbage. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's one of those we want that record that that needs to be reissued on vinyl. That that is a long out of out of uh, print uh, record that needs a reissue. What Angelfish? Yeah. Yeah. It, is this the start of your? I mean, did you did you have plans to go into production, or was it that you got this off and you're like, okay, well, this is interesting, and I'll think I'll take a shot at it, or was it? I mean, it was it was definitely. It was something that I definitely had interest in. I mean, I was that was my passion. Um, so I th- that definitely creatively, that's I love production and I love working with bands. So yes, it was something I was interested in. And it was something I was doing anyways. You know, before the runs, I was already producing other bands. Um, you know realizing that it, that's not where I was going to actually make a living at a certain point. Um, you know, I started doing music for, for television and commercials and stuff like that. Cause it was way more lucrative, but, um, I still, I'm still producing, you know, when I, you know, I'm still working with artists. Um, you know, I'm still, I'm still doing it. So I, I'd love to do it. Do you think that as a producer, you have, honed in up on a particular sound where someone's going to say that's a Scott hack with production in the same way that people might say that with like Steve Albini, where you hear, hear a record and you go, Oh, that's a Steve Albini record. You can hear by the way that the guitar sound or the bass or the drums or what have there, or are you more in tune with whatever the band has as their sound? Yeah, I would say, I would say that I, I, you know, I, I'm working on new music right now for Dig, and, and I feel that that that's my sound, or you know, where I where I've you know, where I've started. And it's funny because I'm I'm back in San Diego at the moment, and and working on music, and I'm inspired, and and it's sounding a lot like the first you know sort of Dig stuff. Um, but when I work with other artists. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sort of going for, you know, what they're into and what what's trying to capture their vision, of what it is they're trying to portray. You know, I wanted to uh, ask about the album art for this. It's so memorable. Um, I I remember it instantly when I saw it. Um, it stood out at the time. It's also very '90s. Um, just the typography, the the image, the fly, like everything about it. What's the story? How did how did this uh, album art come come about? Um. So back in the day, I was um, I worked as a art director for doing music videos and commercials at a company called Propaganda. Um, and so I was very involved in filming and we were constantly doing, you know, little short films and, and photography. And, and so this was, you know, one of those projects we just, 
we're out shooting stuff in my backyard and shooting everything. And that ended up being um, my dog's chew toy. And it was on the back of, and I had gone to a little shop and bought a bunch of like little plastic flies and plastic, whatever, just to take pictures of just, you know, art props. Um, so that was actually done. The, the background, we made a little psych out of, uh, the back of a runt poster. Um, so the white in the back is uh, the back of a runt poster huh. for CP and, and yeah, just, you know, perfectly placing the fly and taking a picture. And there's a million other, which is funny because I just came across a roll of film, um, that I had that was from that take. And it was just, uh, just, uh, you can imagine like thousands of pictures of different things just like that. And that, that happened to be the one that we were, they, okay, yeah, this is it. And, that's, and the dog's name is Dig. So it was, you know, apropos. Oh, uh-huh, nice. Dig chew, chew toy. You can kind of tell it's, it's either styrofoam or I don't know what. So <laughs> like a, looks like a Nerf football or something. Yeah, I remember yeah, the, uh, yeah. in the 90s. Remember those like Nerf balls that had faces on them? I was wondering if it was one of those. Um, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't know, know where about? it came from, or, but it definitely was like a Nerf, a yeah. Nerf texture. It, and it still exists. We still have that thing. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> they were called Mad Balls. Yeah, yeah, it's so creepy so, too. It's very creepy. So Tim and Jake, <laughs> with with nearly five hundred episodes under your belt, yes. um, the one thing I loved about Dig is, you know, I think Scott mentioned the the bands that kind of influenced the sound and the kind of the maybe some of the shoegazer bands, Ride and and those bands. But I, I've always been like I love every song on this record, but I've 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 never heard at least in the nineties, uh there weren't other bands that sounded like Dig. Like the closest and I only discovered this recently, I think you guys reviewed um that the the Flies record. Mm, I don't think so. No. That the song they, they you, you did the band the that did uh, Got You Where I Want You. Yeah, you guys didn't review that? No, we have not reviewed that. Oh, well, you should, because uh, I remember listening to that and thinking that that sort of had a, like a somewhat. I mean, this the single didn't sound like Dig at all, but I remember listening to that and it was a lot. It was a lot different than I thought than the single was, but um, but yeah, I, I don't remember there being a lot of bands that sounded like like Dig. I agree with you. I was definitely pleasantly surprised because I heard a much broader range of influences than just a band this could have easily been a nirvana band but there is so much more going on in terms of the guitar uh work and we you know you mentioned the shoegaze stuff but and the production really helps push it in a different direction than just you know post grunge or grunge or whatever you talk about i don't this doesn't have that grungy sound to me in in the way that you know the the knockoffs did that came after Nirvana. The the real thing that threw me was like hearing those effects, like so many different effects uh, from from 
sounds I didn't hear a lot of in the 90s. It was a lot of like, you know, soft chorus, soft verse, loud chorus, and it was just all about distortion pedals. And then in the verses, there might be like, you know, a little bit of chorus on the guitar or something like that, just to give the clean guitar something to play with. But there's a there's quite a bit more going on. And it's interesting knowing now that Scott played in TSOL because I hear a sort of punk influence in terms of the attitude with the songs. Not necessarily like these are punk rock songs, but just in terms of sort of the, the delivery, the vocal delivery has an edge to it on a number of tracks that like conversation, I wanted to bring up conversation. Yeah. kind of like, yeah. Um, I also want to ask about the background bar noise. Is that something that was discussed like during the demo phase or kind of where did that come in? We had everybody come into the studio and hang out in the live room. Um, and we had a, a party and we just put up mics everywhere. People knew they were there, but you know, after a while, um, we, we just recorded four hours of it and took those snippets. Oh, wow. Cool, yeah. Four hours for to get it down into one song. So how long did this did the record take to record? Mm, uh, I'm gonna say you know, maybe a month. Is it's that... funny because every every project I'm I'm working on now is it's taking years, you know. So yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, it's, back then, you know, it was, you're paying a lot every day. So you guys on a pretty strict deadline when you were recording, you know, probably not, but I felt as we did and, and, and we just got through it. I mean, it was, it was such a passion to like go there every day and make that music that, so it probably happened really quick because we loved what we were doing, you know? Um, you mentioned about having a, like a little bit of a leash. You didn't, you, you know, didn't have the, the label sort of on top of you. Did that extend to the music videos in terms of budget and in terms of what you wanted to do with them? Uh, you did three videos from what I can find for Believe, uh, Unlucky Friend, and... I'll stay high. So what was, what's the story we get? We've gotten a lot of different, you know, 
uh, a lot of different feedback from from various artists, whether they, you know, basically had a camera in a room for one day or if they had like a half a million dollar budget to do something huge. Um, what was your experience like? Um, my experience was different because I was from the music video background and I and I would, you know, my friends were directing or, you know, so I... I didn't even think at that time of like, you know, what the budget was. Certainly they, you know, radioactive was trying to spend the least amount of money they possibly could. And they probably <laughs> saw an advantage with me because I could get my friends to do it. I mean, believe was done for less. It was $17,000, um, which at that moment, you know, to have the exposure that, that, that video got, I mean, labels were spending, you know, a million dollars. So, I mean, they, they loved me when it came to doing music videos and stuff, not to say that they were great, but, um, I could get something done for less than nothing. So, yeah, I never took advantage of a label of the label for like touring. I, because of TSOL, I, you know, it's like we were, you know, in TSOL, we got two rooms and it was two guys to a bet. You know, I slept with another dude for, you know, years. Um, and that's <laughs> just the way it was. And that's, you know, we were in a van and, you know, we had, you know, we survived off of selling merch and, and that, and that was that. So when, when dig started, I could, you know, definitely there were, I could have, you know, let's get a bus. Let's, you know, everybody, uh, but I didn't, I was like, let's keep it slim, keep everything slim. We don't want to spend too much money because it's our money, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as music videos and spending crazy amounts of money, that never happened. Did you were get the, were, the, were the second and third videos lower budget than believe I'm assuming they were. Yes. Okay. I've watched the Unlucky Finger a couple times recently. It's funny with because like we were, you know, it's, we did our own videos. Uh, like the label didn't come to us and say, "Let's do a video." We just did our own videos. Um, so I guess you know it was different. You know, for a lot of other bands that didn't have that experience of knowing how to do a video. So, did you get offers, or or did you? I know you. You know in. 93 you did the Ramones record as a producer did you consider going into video production for other bands oh uh, no never no okay. no that, that wasn't really my passion I am um, I mean you know it's like I and creatively yeah um but yeah no that that wasn't my passion I mean definitely like um you know producing bands and music um composing music for film and, and all that. That was more of my passion. So now that you um, are, are in the more of the producer role, when you go back and listen to this record, what about it do you do you hear? And is there anything that you would change? Uh, lyrically, I would change things. But uh, uh, sonically, I, I love it. Mm. And... Yeah, there's nothing I would change. Now, the other records after followed, definitely I would change. Um, I wasn't happy with those, but I, 
the, you know, the first EP, first LP, I'm proud of for sure. So do you think, uh, we had, um, someone recommend defenders of the universe a couple months ago. Are you, uh, did we pick the right record to review of the two? No, it's like, I, to each his own, I think that if somebody's into that record, I, I just, there's, there's, I mean, a couple, couple songs maybe I can get into. I just, you know, I was coming from a different place and there was different sort of pressure behind that record. And it was, you know, strange times and it wasn't definitely the first EP and LP are, are it for me. And, and the, and the music that I'm making now for dig is definitely following that path and not defenders. Do the songs that you're doing now, do, do these go back to 2004 and five and whatnot? What are you saying? The songs that you're working on now, are, do these songs go back to 2004 when it was first discussed doing another record? You know, it's, and I'd love to send you guys all the songs that we've done thus far from then. Um, it's a, it's a different time and in, in, you know, since the pandemic that we're in and the lockdown and, and me actually came down to San Diego to do this record and to finish it up. Um, that things have changed. And so I feel differently about, um, you know, where I'm at with past you know, the, the music that I made and where I'm at now and, and it things have come sort of full circle for me where I'm making music that it sounds way more like first record. Um, so yeah, I just, I mean, that's always been the thing is that it's like trying to figure out, um, you know, is, is this where I'm at the, at this moment? Should I release this music? And, and it's never been like, no, this isn't speaking to me at this moment. Um, I don't know what the question was, but there you go. <laughs> um, do you have plans in terms of finishing up the record and, and a release uh, time frame, or is that still up in the air? No, it's, it's definitely going to finishing the record um, in the next couple months. We're going to finish the record and just put it out. And that's going to be what it is. And I'd say that there's, at least six new songs that have been written and and recorded in the last three weeks. So it's probably going to be all new music. And so, and it's going to be a lot like the first record. It's going to, you know, yeah, so it's going to be out soon. Well, when that happens, make sure you email us because we keep a running calendar <laughs> of all new releases relevant to 90s and 80s bands. Hi, yeah. <laughs> And we send that out to our listeners every week so that they know what's coming out. <laughs> so uh, we, we're going to want to know about that. Is what I'm saying. Scott, do you still hear from do you still hear from older fans quite a bit uh, on Facebook? Yeah, all the time. Okay, all that's time. cool. Yeah. And one other question. Great. One other question about back back in the day. Do you remember when you when you used to play different cities? Did you have any markets that were uh, more supportive of you than others that you just love going back to that you recall? Um, 
Yeah, Columbus, Ohio is amazing. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, it was just Chip. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chip could rally a bunch of people. Chip, yeah, Chip was your hype man. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we, we always had a great um, time in Boston. That was definitely where things started for us. And, you know, on the East Coast, New York was definitely always happening for us. Never L.A., never the West Coast, you know. Interesting. For whatever reason. Yeah. There's a, there's a video on YouTube of a, a radio festival you guys were playing somewhere on the West Coast. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's probably been up for a few years. It was a, a side shot video for some – it was either done for a, a, maybe a local channel or something, but um, – it's the only real live footage I've been able to find of you guys. And uh, okay. it, like it was a pretty big crowd. It looked like it was a during the day. Um, not sure if you're familiar with this or not, but it's up on YouTube. It's pretty cool to check out. Oh, yeah. I'll look for it. I think it's from 93. So It's like, I don't know if we're blessed by not you know being before all the, you know, being on YouTube and the Internet, but maybe it's best that we weren't i don't know yeah that's that's the bad thing it's trying to find live stuff is for bands like for dig for instance it's it's hard before the uh the internet age you know well because chip has them all on vhs <laughs> in his basement yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. break it out yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you Unlock go the bolt, man come on yeah seriously <laughs> uh jay anything else you want to cover uh no, I I think we got to everything I had. Okay. Chip, any other memories uh that you want to share? I did find the website. I did find the the article on the website and I'm going to link to that in our show notes. Cool. Uh the uh, the by the way, the epi- or the uh the cover for that particular um issue uh had the Afghan wigs on the cover with um I think the bands listed were the Breeders and Guided by Voices. So it was a very Ohio-centric episode for the for the cover. Oh, uh, for sure, for sure. Always appreciate it. Um, no, I think you know the. I mean, you know, kind of my closing thoughts are that um, I mean, this album to me, top to bottom, like I listen to it. I still listen to it regularly. It's uh, you know, I have the CD. It's in my car all the time. Um, just you know. 27 years later you just top to bottom it's just uh, there's not a song that i skip i i love every song um so that was the first thing uh my wife and i will occasionally when there's nothing on tv go to youtube and do the um the 90s alt rock uh do you remember this song and believe is usually the first video that we always play (laughs) and then um the other sort of little random bit is um well i don't know how long ago this was five, 10 years ago. Um, you know, I, I'm still obviously having the VHS tapes in my basement and still a CD person. And, you know, I miss physical media and I miss being able to flip through CD covers, but, um, I went and saw this band Everest and the guy selling t-shirts was a guitar player, Joel Graves. And I went up to him and I'm like, Hey, did, did you play in a dig record? And he looked at me and he's like, you are the first person that's ever come up to me and asked me if I was ever in dig. Um, <laughs> Yeah. You knew his face, sir. Uh, I was a, I was a big fan of Everest. I mean, they're a great band. Um, and I don't. Yeah, you know, he he was on Life Like, right? Was that the album he was on? 
Yes. Yeah, and like I said, I was probably just flipping through CD covers and and saw some names on there and and um, recognized his name from that somehow. I don't know. Wow, Chip, you're yeah. amazing. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty incredible. The fact that you put that face, like you recognize that person, and and pulled it out at, at that moment, like I would have thought of it three hours later, been like, oh, that was that guy. And you nailed it. Well, like I said, he he was he was he was pretty shocked that I knew that. <laughs> yeah, because he was in the band for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the month, uh, Chip? That I don't know. I, I don't know what month it was. <laughs> awesome. Uh, this would be a good place for us to um, to start wrapping up. We've we've. We've slaughtered the hour, mo- uh, you know, we've gone over our I hour. Told you we were going to go over an hour. Yeah, I knew you. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're talkative. Um, besides the dig record that we are all now eagerly anticipating, um, Scott, what else you got going on that you'd like to share, if anything? Uh, yeah, no, the dig record is definitely it. I'm full bore that, but, um, you know, I'm just, I'm uh, still trying to make a living at doing music for film and television, which has come to a screeching halt at the moment, but which has given me time to make music and get back to what I, I love. Um, so yeah, that's it. I, I got a quick question for Scott. So I, I was looking back at the 2004 email interview I did with you and I had asked you kind of what you were doing in music and you said something along the lines of like, turn on your, turn on your TV and you've heard something I've done recently. So like, what is, what is a commercial or something that we would have heard that, uh, that you did? I crushed myself here. No. Um, recently nothing. Probably. Do you watch television? Do you see commercials these days? No. Okay. <laughs> it's all Netflix. You see nothing. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. But you did. You wrote commercials, like jingles and, and songs for commercials, right? At one point. Yeah, yeah. Does that, that pay did. pretty well? That pays pretty well. Yes. That's good. Yeah. That's what I've heard. Yes, it does. Quick question about about Dig. So, if you're going to go forward with another record, is there going to be any social media presence? Because I don't. You guys don't have like a page on Facebook or anything, do you? Well, I just started a, a Instagram. Okay. So you can go there. Um, and there's actually some, some some songs in progress that I that are up there. So you can actually hear some stuff that we're doing currently. Oh, cool! Within the last couple of days, so you can go to. And it sounds um, and it sounds like dig. It sounds like dig. Um, I, it does. You know, your MySpace page yeah. is still active. I just want to throw it oh, out no. there. <laughs> if Holy you... shit. Is that even active? MySpace? Oh, my God. Yeah, doesn't Justin Timberlake own it? Didn't he buy it no, at one point? I'm going there now. I'm going there now. You might want to reclaim that because, um, yeah. you know, MySpace might, ha- might uh, have a resurgence with everybody stuck at home. We're gonna gonna get nostalgic. Right. <laughs> Either that or yeah. 
grab a Friendster Watch account. Watch VHS tapes. When we finally have run out of things to look at on the internet, we'll make it over to MySpace again. Yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah what's the Instagram handle? That's funny. Oh, yeah. What is the Instagram handle so uh, people can find it? Let me see. Let me look. Not too good at this stuff, you know. <laughs> Dig the band. Okay, that's easy enough. And is there any chance that you guys could play live shows in the future? Have you discussed that? Yes, definitely. Okay. Just West Coast, or would you ever do another tour? No, we're definitely talking about doing a tour and, um, yeah, going out and doing it. You know? Okay, cool. That'd be great. I would definitely be there. Chip and I will be hand in hand seeing you guys if you come back. Oh, <laughs> sure. it's true. Yeah, we'll be there. You just gained a new follower. Dig me out is yeah. new following. Apropos. Of course, <laughs> apropos. Right. Yeah. Oh, shit. You're number 81. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get this. This is all me now, so I'm, I'm very slow at this. So I'm trying to get it all together. The social media stuff, that is. Yeah, I'm following you now. There is there is there is a uh, Facebook page. It's Dig the Band as well. Thanks, Chip. Yep. There is. I like the yes, fact that is. these all just went up like in within a very short period of time. Before this, <laughs> it's, it's uh. So should I keep the the Facebook going, or should I just forget about that? Does Facebook matter anymore? No, it definitely does, especially for people in, in our age range, at least in our 30s and 40s. We're still on there. I'm not sure about for Gen X. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not not if you want to get the uh, the uh, the millennials. You have to go over to Snapchat or which uh, you have to do some TikTok videos, right? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'm not gonna go there, but. All right. Um, Chip, what do you got going on? I, I know you have chipmidnight.com. Is that being updated regularly? That is about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, like I said, it, it's more the nostalgic thing. Um, haven't really done any, I haven't really even thought about exploring, trying to do new interviews for that site. It's more just a historical, just to document all the stuff I've done. Um, still writing for Big Takeover magazine. Uh, new issues should be out any day now. Uh, comes out twice a year and that's about it that's what i got going on writing wise all right and dewey what are you up to well i do have to ask does this mean that this is a worthy record for you guys or is there not going to be a rating with the artist with us or well we i, I mean for me personally it's a, it's a worthy record we tend not to get into nitty-gritty uh uh stuff with with artists in terms of like we do when we're just by ourselves. <laughs> then, the artist, then the artist can listen to it and fire off a nasty email. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Ted nicely. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't need Ted. We don't need any more of that. Um, I don't need uh, Dave J Jordan being mad at me. Um, right. That's true. <laughs> Here's the, uh, we did do the vote uh, with patrons and it was a split between an EP and uh, a worthy album. 
Yeah, based on the on the patron response, it didn't seem like many people were familiar with it. So that was kind of exciting because I really hope that people listen to this and uh, check it out. I was you know, shocked that people. Yeah, especially for for me. I mean, I I try to. I can't believe I didn't hear this back in the day. I just don't know how it, how it passed me, but that's why we have podcasts like dig me out, you know, but um, yeah. So I was really excited to find it and hopefully more people will listen to this and check it out and get into the band. And, yeah. Uh, luckily it's uh, it's still available on all the streaming services, which isn't always the case. On some of the records. God, yeah. That's a godsend, especially in, in this day and age. It seems like every other week there's a record that's not on Spotify that a friend of mine asked me about. And I, I'm just like, I don't know, man, find the CD and rip it. You know, I don't really know what else to tell you. I don't have um, a CD player anymore because I got a new Apple laptop last year. And uh, it doesn't have a CD thing. So I can't even rip CDs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you can buy one for like 40 bucks. That's regressing, Jay. I don't want to regress. I'll, I'll, I'll hook you up. Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Scott, thank you for joining us on this this was a lot of fun yeah, thank you thank you for having me do we thank you for your continued support as a patron we greatly appreciate it and all your comments and your contributions to the podcast and of course um chip as always thank you for coming on as well we wouldn't be here without you chip 10 years well um yeah thank thanks for having me on all the time um do want to mention that patreon uh, is where you go to support the podcast Dig Me Out Union, DMO Union. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. And you can go to digmeoutpodcast.com to sign up for our weekly box newsletter, uh, one-minute reviews of new albums, as well as our calendar of 80s and 90s releases, books, music, and uh, stuff that's streaming because nobody's going to a movie theater at this point, so it's all streaming. And that's it for Tim and Jay. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. Well, so-